Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Bible study podcast. I want to begin with this opening story that I read just a few days ago. Pastor Warner Davis grew up in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where his parents were Methodist missionaries. He came to the United States as a young person to enroll at Asbury University, and he recently wrote about the experience in Guidepost magazine. It was in 1968. College back then wasn't as expensive as now, but the economy was much different. David needed $200 to cover his tuition. He decided to skip spring break and to go door-to-door trying to sell cookware. He didn't have very much success. One door after another slammed in his face, and he knew he was in trouble. One morning during his daily devotions, he blurted out, Lord, if you will bless me financially this week, I promise I'll give 10% of my income to the church. Though he had grown up knowing about the importance of giving, Warner had never seriously, consistently given in his life. But nevertheless, that was his prayer. By Saturday, he had made $250, which was amazing. But then he forgot all about his promise to the Lord. Warner was also serving as a student pastor of a small church, and on Sunday he got up for his daily devotions, and his reading that day took him to Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, where the Lord scolded the Israelites for not giving back to him a portion of what he had given to them. The Lord said, Will a man rob God? You have robbed me. Those words hit Warner between the eyes, and he quickly sat down and wrote a check for ten dollars. Then he tore it up and wrote another one for fifteen. And then he tore that up and took a deep breath and wrote one for twenty-five. With a great sense of relief, he dropped the check into the collection plate. Well, on that particular Sunday, two visitors showed up at church, which was unusual for that little congregation. It was an elderly couple. As they left, they handed Warner an envelope, and when he opened it, he found a personal gift for, when you know it, $25, the exact amount he had put in the offering plate. That week, he looked up the address of the couple and went to see them. Why me, he said, and why did you come on Sunday, and how did you know who I was? Well, the couple explained that they had long followed his father's missionary work, and they had felt an impulse to show their appreciation by giving something to his son, and that Sunday seemed as good as any other day, and so they came and gave him the check, and it was a lesson that has stayed with Warner Davis all through his life. Never again, he said, did he have to try three times to write a check to the Lord before he got the right amount. Well, today, I want to teach from the book of Acts and from the book of Philippians on the subject, 
Whatever happens, support the cause. We've started a series of Bible study podcasts on the subject, Whatever Happens, which is based on the book of Philippians. I believe that the key verse to the whole letter to the Philippians is chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul was aware of the fact that life is unpredictable. At least it is to us. The world is in chaos. No one knows what the next headline will say or what the next minute will bring. But whatever happens, there are certain things we must do to conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. In our first episode, we looked at the very long journey that Paul and his companions made to Philippi. One door after another closed to them as they tried to preach and evangelized, and they were perplexed by the mysterious guidance of the Lord. But then all became clear in Troas when Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And the lesson that we drew from that is, whatever happens, follow God's guidance. In the last two episodes, I've explained what happened to Paul and to his fellow missionaries when they got to Macedonia. A wealthy woman named Lydia in the city of Philippi came to Christ, and so did a slave girl. But Paul and Silas were caught in a riot, stripped and whipped, and secured in the prison with stocks on their feet. But at midnight, they were singing hymns and praises to God, and an earthquake struck the prison, releasing them. And the lesson is, whatever happens, sing. Now today, in this fourth episode, I have one more message by way of background. I want to share with you why Paul wrote this letter, what prompted it, and what occasioned it. When you study a book in the Bible, it's very helpful if you can find some of the facts surrounding it. And the most striking thing about the church in Philippi and its sister churches in Macedonia was their generosity. That's what they were famous for, and to this day, that's what they are known for. And that generosity is what occasioned the letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. Now, Philippi was a leading city in Macedonia, which is a Roman province in the area that we would call today northern Greece. Paul planted three important churches in this area, and they all became strong and generous. One was in Philippi, another was in Thessalonica, and a third was in the town of Berea. As we've seen, Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy started in Philippi, which was a vast colonnaded Roman city. And the church they planted there met in the home of that first convert, Lydia. As we saw earlier, Lydia was a businesswoman dealing with a very expensive commodity. She dealt in purple cloth, which was colored from a dye, we know from archaeology and from history, a dye that was harvested from creatures of the sea. It was what we would call today a high-end product, which meant that Lydia was undoubtedly quite wealthy. As soon as she was converted, she opened her home to the missionary party, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and it must have been a very large home, probably with servants and mosaics and patios and uh, spacious rooms, but she said, it's yours to use, and her home became a meeting place for the church, as we learn at the end of Acts 16. So think of it. As soon as Lydia was converted, she realized 
that all of her possessions and all of her wealth belonged to the Lord for his use. The first known convert from Paul's ministry in Europe was a woman whose life and possessions were instantly at the Lord's disposal. Now, she evidently didn't sell everything and give it to the poor and begin a life of poverty. She was a wealthy person who understood that God had given her ample resources to wisely steward for the kingdom. But then the next person who was converted was on the opposite end of the social spectrum, a slave girl. And then the local jail warden, the prison warden, and his family came to Christ uh, when Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned there. But as they sang, God gave the victory, the doors were open, the earthquake came, and this family too was saved. And that was the beginning of the church in Philippi. Now, it says in Acts 16, verse 40, After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. Notice the word they. The book of Acts was written by Luke, and earlier as I said in a previous podcast, he said that we came to Philippi, but now he wrote, they left, which is Luke's way of telling us that he stayed behind. Paul must have said to him, you stay here in the city of Philippi with these new believers and help them to grow. And so he stayed there to help the church become established. Well, all of this, I think, is important because it helps us visualize the scene and to get to know the church. To really understand the Bible, we have to put ourselves inside of its pages and try to imagine what it would have been like to have been there. Imagine a rather large stone house somewhere in the residential city of this great Roman uh, area, and it's a lovely house. Inside, as I said, there were probably mosaics on the floor. And in a large room, there's a crowd gathered Lydia is there along with her servants and any family she had, and they are entertaining and taking care of people and making sure everything is all right. And there stands Luke. Here sits the slave girl. Over against one of the walls is the jailer and his family. And other people have come to Christ, and they gather around Paul and Silas and Timothy, placing their hands on them, praying and weeping. And then the three missionaries go on their way. But Luke stays behind to help the group get established as an organized church and to grow. Well, over the next several years, Paul dropped in once or twice to visit them. He sent Timothy and Silas back to check on them and to encourage them. But here's the significant thing. For some reason, the churches in this area, especially this one in Philippi, became the New Testament models for generosity and stewardship. Perhaps Lydia took the lead in this, and maybe it was because of Luke's teachings. Maybe it was simply something that stemmed from their appreciation for a man who was flogged before their very eyes because of the gospel he gave them. But for whatever reason, the Macedonian churches were known throughout all of Christian history for their generosity and for their support of the missionary efforts of Paul and of others. Two entire chapters in 2 Corinthians are devoted to this very thing. I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Paul said to the Corinthians, who were down in southern Greece, about these Christians in Macedonia, 
up in northern Greece. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave, them, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So on this occasion, Paul was collecting benevolence funds for the poverty-stricken church in Judea. He was going to take it back to Jerusalem, and he was telling the Christians down in Corinth about how generous the Macedonian churches had been. They understood the concept of giving to the Lord better than anybody else, and Paul made them an example for stewardship. God had literally given them the grace of giving. Well, we'll come back to this passage uh, at the end, but let's continue the timeline. The Apostle Paul collected this offering. He took it to Jerusalem in Acts 21, but his presence at the temple sparked a riot. You can read about this beginning in Acts 21 and on to the end of the book of Acts. Paul was arrested. He was sent to prison in Caesarea. He spent two years there, and then he appealed his case to the emperor, and he was sent to Rome, where he lived under house arrest for two years until the time came for him to stand trial. And that is where the book of Acts ends in chapter 28. Well, the Philippians were following the news of all of this. Apparently, near the end of the two years, Paul was moved into a more secure location for his trial. And when the Philippians heard about this, they were alarmed. They were upset. They were discouraged. They said to themselves, what can we do and how can we help? They took up yet another offering to help Paul with his expenses. And then one of the church members in Philippi, a man named Epaphroditus, said, I will take the offering to Paul in Rome, and I will stay with him through the end of the trial, and I will be of service to him, and I'll take care of him. And so after prayers and goodbyes, probably in that same house of Lydia, Epaphras left Philippi for the trip of Rome, which would have taken over a month on the famous Roman Ignatius Way. Well, once in Rome, Epaphroditus tracked down Paul, gave him the money, and stayed with him. But there was a problem. There in prison, there in Rome, Epaphroditus caught a virus or a germ or something that made him deathly sick, and instead of taking care of Paul, Paul had to take care of him. The poor man ended up at death's door. Paul was desperately concerned about him. And when Epaphroditus recovered well enough to travel, Paul sent him back to Philippi with this letter of friendship and gratitude, which today we call the letter of Philippians. So look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, and you can see this. Paul said, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed 
because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him and the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. And then we circle back in Philippians chapter 4, and as we'll see in a later episode, Paul seriously thanks the Philippians for the gift that they sent. Well, what can we learn from all of this? We can learn this. Whatever happens, keep on giving, stay generous, and support the extinction and the expansion of the kingdom of Christ around the world. In all of the New Testament, it is the church in Philippi and their fellow churches in Macedonia who are the Bible's prime examples of churches that support the cause of missions. I can go so far as to say their example has impacted the generosity of the church throughout all of the ages. And this has impacted the world economy in ways really greater than we know. Chuck Bentley is the head of an organization known as Crown Financial Ministries, which teaches the biblical principles of stewardship. One day, several years ago, Chuck read an article in the Wall Street Journal. I have that article, and I've read it myself. It was written by a Chinese economist named Zhao Jiao, which Americanized is Dr. Peter Zhao. He was a rising star in the Communist Party in earlier days, and he was an atheist. The Chinese authorities asked Dr. Zhao to lead an academic study to determine why America had the strongest economy in the world. This was back in the early 2000s. The communists wanted to figure out the secret of America's success and to leverage it. But when Dr. Zhao brought back his report, the authorities, well, they didn't know what to do with it. Dr. Zhao had one basic conclusion. He said America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and that biblical basis provided a tireless work ethic, a sense of honesty, a suppression of corruption, a motivation for excellence, a creative spirit, and a deep belief in generosity. He said that while China had rice shops on every corner, America had churches on every corner. He said, quote, the strong U.S. economy is just on the surface. The background and the backbone is the moral foundation. Dr. Zhao wrote over 200 articles about this, and one of them was the article that I mentioned in the Wall Street Journal. Well, Chuck Bentley of Crown Financial Ministries read this article, and he instantly felt a deep burden to pray for, these Chinese, for, this, for this Chinese economist whom he had never met. Two years passed, and Chuck was at a financial conference in Orlando, and next to him was a table filled with ten, 10 Chinese men listening on headphones to the translation. Upon inquiry, Chuck learned that one of those men was the very one for whom he had been praying for two years. He said chills ran up and down him as he was introduced to the Chinese economist, Dr. Zhao, and who 
he discovered had, in the years that he had been praying for him, become a personal follower of Christ. Well, in writing about all of this, Chuck Bentley said, churches that teach God's word have an incalculable but profoundly positive impact on individuals and thus on the nation's economy. Two things that provide a snapshot, he said, of the health and future of a nation is the number of healthy Bible-believing churches and the number of entrepreneurs that are free to pursue their dream. He said Dr. Zhao was right. China needs God, but not just China. Every pastor needs to understand they are creating good economic actors with the values, the character, and the creative spirit that builds a personal economy, and that in turn contributes to the collective economic health of a nation. He said, I've traveled to much of the world sharing this simple message. I have had the honor of teaching many times inside of China with my beloved friend, Dr. Zhao, and neither of us plans to stop. Now, I thought that was just absolutely incredible, especially when you think of it in terms of these Macedonian churches. Here you have in this northern part of Greece, three churches, especially the church in Philippi, but also one in Thessalonica, one in Berea. For whatever reason, they were just blessed by the grace of giving, and they gave again and again and again. They gave generously, and Paul held them up in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 as the great New Testament model for generosity in the ministry and among churches, and the impact that that example has had has changed the world and even has affected the world economy because of the Judeo-Christian foundation the United States of America had, and that is the power, the chain reaction of a generous spirit and of the feeling that says, whatever happens, support the cause. Well, let me end by revisiting 2 Corinthians 8, which is essentially a description of this church at Philippi. Paul said, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So very briefly, here are life principles that we can adopt. First, ask God to give you the grace of giving. Our desire to support the cause of Christ financially is the outworking of God's grace in our lives. I mean, verse 1 here says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of that God has given the Macedonian churches, and he is speaking here about their generous attitude. They were so aware of all that God had freely given them that his spirit of generosity entered them. I've found, and this is after 70 years of working on it, that whenever I receive a paycheck of some sort, my first and most excited thought is how I can use a portion of it to support the Lord's work. I love the fact that I have this feeling, but it's simply grace. Ask God to give you the grace of giving. This is a 
Serious suggestion that you make it a serious prayer. Lord, give me the grace of giving. Secondly, give as the Lord leads you despite the circumstances. Look at verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, I love this phrase, welled up. Think of a spring in which the water rises to the surface by itself and wells up to overflowing. I have some little water fountains at home, and when I plug in the pump, it begins to force the water up the pipes and tubes, and suddenly I see the top welling up and starting to flow over the rocks or into the saucers. Well, what is beneath the surface that makes this generosity well up? What forces are pushing the water of financial support to the top of our agenda? Well, three things. A severe trial, overflowing joy, and extreme poverty. That is so antithetical to what we might believe, but apparently some kind of opposition or persecution had befallen the churches in Macedonia, and it made them realize their temporary possessions were not nearly as important as their eternal riches. In the midst of this, God gave them joy, and even though they were facing extreme poverty, the Lord provided something special for them to give, and all of it welled up into rich generosity. So realize there are ways to be generous despite your circumstances. Third, offer the totality of your life. Not just all you have, but all you are or ever hope to be to the Lord. Verse 4 and verse 5 say, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and also then by the will of God to us. Give yourself first of all to the Lord. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you as well. Well, next week we'll begin our study of Philippians by looking at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But I hope these background messages have enabled you to visualize the setting. In your mind's eye, travel to Lydia's expansive house. Go through the gate and into the foyer. It's a pleasant evening, so let's meet in the courtyard. Chairs are set up. Here are servants with refreshments. Here's someone to lead the singing. Here's someone to take up the offering. This is a generous singing, worshiping church founded by Paul, overseen by Luke and growing by the day. The jailer and his family take up several chairs, and the servant girl has some friends she has brought in, and the crowd has been growing. But this particular worship service is very special. Epaphroditus who's been gone for most of a year, is back sitting there in the corner. He has come from Rome. He has come from Paul. If we had have gotten there a bit earlier, we might have been able to speak to him before the service, but we did see him give the pastor a little parchment scroll, and we already suspect it's a letter from Paul, which Epaphroditus had brought back with him. Everyone sits in rapt attention to hear the news from their beloved friend and missionary. The leader stands and rolls the scroll and says, Friends, we have news from Paul. I'll just read it for you. He writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we'll start next week. 
Thanks for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. If you want to study more of Paul's writings, check out my book, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. It's based upon Romans chapter 8, and you can find it wherever books are sold, or you can find it along with its study guide at my website, robertjmorgan.com. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing by Jared Brummett. Print editing and blog posting by Sherry Anderson, Luke Tyler, and Carson Outlaw. Music by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Look for the transcript of this podcast soon on the blog page of my website, robertjmorgan.com, where you will also find many other resources. And please share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening, and may God be with you until we meet again.